This episode was recorded on the countries of the Bunurong Bunurong and the Wandri Woiwurrung people of the Eastern Kulin Nation. I pay my respect to Elders past and present. I acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the traditional custodians of the land, sea and sky, where birds across Australia can thrive. Welcome to Weekend Birder. I'm your birdwatching mate, Kirsty Costa. Today, you and I are hanging out with one of my favourite bird nerds, Sean Dooley. Sean is the National Public Affairs Manager for BirdLife Australia. He's the author of The Big Twitch, and he's the former holder of the Australian Big Year Twitching Record. For many years, Sean and his team have been working tirelessly to ensure that birds are protected and loved by Australians. That's why he's affectionately known as the Birdman. Here is how Sean got into birdwatching. I got into birds when I was 10 and I grew up in Seaford, which is a, a it, it's a suburb in, in the southeast of Melbourne on Port Phillip Bay, just near a place called Frankston, which some people might have heard about. It was a fabulous place to grow up uh, because you had you had the bay and there was bush along Cannonook Creek to explore. And we had this place called Seaford Swamp, which was right on the boundary of our school fence at Seaford North Primary School. And when I was in grade five, my grade five teacher was a bird watcher and a bird bander. And he had a pair of binoculars for every kid in the class and would take us out bird banding in the grounds of the school, which also had a whole lot of bush in it. And he inspired me to, well, he opened my eyes to this, to this window, this world of nature that happened right literally on our doorstep, um, you would walk out of the classroom and to the boundary fence, which in winter tended to get flooded from the swamp and you'd ca- occasionally have to jump over a tiger snake or something to get there. But here was this world of wildlife that I never really had noticed before. And I'd always loved animals, but I think by the time I was about five or six, I realised that the animals I was getting in my wheat bix packet in the cards, like, you know, tigers and, and lions and giraffes and things, I was never going to see them in suburban Melbourne. So I put dreams of seeing wild animals just to one side. But suddenly in grade five, here they were. And it wasn't just local birds. It was birds from all around the country that were turning up and birds from across the other side of the world. You know, I discovered there were birds like the Latham snipe, which flew in every August, September from Japan. And I'd see these little grey birds rushing around on the edge of the mud and found out they were sharp-tailed sandpipers, which had come from the Arctic Circle in Siberia. And that was just mind-blowing to a 10-year-old. And I just really fell in love with, with birds, not only as creatures and beautiful creatures, but also that idea that they have wings and they can turn up literally anywhere. And so you never know what you're going to get. It's like, so like the magic faraway tree of hobbies, because you don't know what's going to be at the top of the tree when you go up and look. Known as Karam Karam by the Bunurong Bunurong people is also where I fell in love with birds and bird watching. I was walking through the wetlands one summer and came across a family of a bird called Latham Snipe hanging out in a pond. My connection with this wonderful bird was almost instant after I discovered that it does a return flight each year from Melbourne to Japan. I also fly from Melbourne to Japan almost each year, but my journey is a little bit more comfortable. In that moment, I transitioned from bird noticer to bird watcher. Soon after, I got a pair of binoculars and I downloaded some birding apps. 
Sean says that it's no surprise that these wetlands have had such a huge impact on both people and on birds. The Latham snipe is one of the reasons why Seaford is now uh, the Edithal Seaford wetlands, which are the two main remnants of a huge swamp that used to exist called the Karam Karam. And the Edithal Seaford wetlands are now recognised as wetlands of international significance by the Ramsar Treaty that Australia signed up to. And that's pretty much on the basis of those migratory shorebirds, such as the sharp-tailed sandpiper and the Latham snipe, in that we those little urban wetlands actually get more than 1%, probably these days because the numbers are dwindling across the globe. Um, sometimes for the sharp-tailed sandpiper, we get more than 2 or 3% of the world population in this you know, what people always used to call the dirty old swamp. It's incredible. And and what I find incredible, and I'm, I'm really grateful for, for entering the world of birds and bird watching, is it's given me so much joy in my life and just it's made my, enriched my life so much. By just going out to Seaford ever since I was 10 and recording what I saw along with other people uh, through things like BirdLife Australia's bird data scheme, but also in in the 80s and 90s, there was like a national water bird survey and migratory shorebird surveys. Just me and just a couple of other people recording all of these things. That's how those areas came to notice as being really important. And Seaford Wetlands was, there was proposals to drain it and turn it into maybe an ornamental pond or put housing on it. And if it wasn't for these incredible birds and their journeys and and spending part of their life at the wetlands, that would have happened and we would have lost that forever. And that only happened because quirky little kids like me and and other other quirky bird watchers actually cared about it and watched them and recorded them. And it just shows the power of observation and monitoring that we were able to add that information to the people who were trying to save those wetlands. And now they're world famous. They're one of the few urban wetlands that are internationally recognised. And so the, the land managers, which is Kingston and Frankston Councils and Melbourne Water, now are obliged to maintain those areas for, for those wetland values. And they, they're doing generally a, a really good job of it. Stay tuned for an upcoming Weekend Birder episode that celebrates the Edith Vale Seaford wetlands. Sean is a twitcher and has travelled around the world to go birdwatching. He's had many experiences that will forever be etched in his memory. One of the most powerful, though, was a local bird that other people might overlook. It was a bird called a glossy ibis, which is the third of Australia's ibis. A lot of people probably know the, the Australian white ibis or, you know, the bin chicken, as it gets called these days. And people may also be aware of the, the straw-necked ibis, which is similar size, but it's it has a beautiful glossy kind of greeny black on, on its wings. Um, and it does have feathers in the neck that look like yellow straw. Um, they're really cool birds, actually. But this one, the glossy ibis, is a lot smaller and it's found all around the world. It's quite common in northern Australia, but I knew even as even as an 11-year-old that it was very rare in Victoria. Uh, so I, I, I went down one, I think it was at lunchtime, it was either in the before school or at lunchtime, went down at school and sat on the fence and looked out and there was a glossy ibis, just one feeding and, and it was feeding through the shallows and they're not, they're, they're quite handsome birds. They're sort of almost like a chocolatey colour. Uh, but when you catch them in the right light, they have green in their wings and that's quite iridescent. And so they, they are in the right light. They're very 
they are indeed glossy, although in bad light, they're just a kind of pooey brown sort of colour. But they're pretty handsome birds when you see them up close, which me and my friends did. And I was just blown away by this bird. It was so exciting for two reasons. One, it was an unusual bird, unusual looking and unusual to be there. The other thing, though, was the fact that me as an 11-year-old, I knew that it was a rare bird and it normally isn't there. And that was such an adrenaline rush. And that, I joke, got me addicted to seeing rare birds. And I became what's known as a twitcher, which twitches, for those who don't know, it's sort of like the extreme sport of bird watching. If you think about bird watching as being very gentle and passive activity, twitching is where you want to see a new bird no matter what. And when you're starting out bird watching, it's really easy to see new birds. Every bird is a new bird. That, And I envy people who are just beginning to, to be bird watchers because every day is really exciting. And birds that you later find are real, really common, when you see them for the first time, there's nothing like it. It's so exciting. But in order to see more new birds, you have to start going further and further afield. You get to know the birds in your neighbourhood and then the birds in your in your state. And then go further around the country. And then once you run out of those, you can go overseas, I guess, but then you start waiting to hear or, or going out looking for birds that it turn up here that shouldn't be here, like the glossy ibis. But on that continent scale, birds that aren't normally in Australia. So you hear about something like a black-headed gull, which is a northern hemisphere gull turning up in Darwin. You might want to jump on a plane and uh, try and see that. And that's what twitching is, is that going to extreme lengths to find rare birds, or even if they're not rare, to find birds that you've never seen before. You might have heard of BirdLife Australia's Aussie Bird Count. It's held over one week every year in mid-October and thousands of people participate by watching and recording the names of the birds that they see around them. Sean has been part of this project from the start and can explain how the Aussie Bird Count took off. I think the idea for the Aussie Bird Count started around 10 years ago. BirdLife Australia had recently formed after a merger between the two national bird organisations, which was Birds Australia, which were much more focused on the science and the research into birds for conservation, and BOCA, which was the old Bird Observers Club, which was originally more for the social side of um, bird watching. We came together and we were looking for something. We knew from the work we'd done during the merger that there were an enormous amount of people who really loved birds but didn't consider themselves bird watchers because bird watching has always had a bit of a daggy reputation or a nerdy one in the sense that people feel like you need to be an expert. And that's not the case. We knew that there are literally millions of Australians who have a you know, have a major love and affection for Australia's native birds. But less than 10% of them would have classed themselves as bird watchers in any way. But really, everyone who loves birds is a bird watcher because you look at them or you listen to them and you have this connection to them. So we were trying to work out an event, something where we could really get people to connect in a positive way with, with birds. And when you say to people that you're a bird watcher, people have always said, oh, where do you go bird watching? Like Kakadu or or the Outback or the Daintree. And it's like, well, yes, I, I love to go bird watching in those places. They're all amazing. But you're bird watching all the time because that's the great thing about birds is they are everywhere. They're literally in every continent, every habitat on earth. And they're even in the main cities. And at BirdLife Australia, we 
focus primarily on threatened species. Like our mission is to prevent extinctions of native birds. So necessarily all of our work is tends to go towards studying, monitoring and helping implement conservation measures to save endangered species. And we, we sort of realised that we actually know more about some of our most critically endangered birds than we did about birds that people see every day. And it's the birds that people see every day that is usually what gets people into birds. It's, it, that's what sparks the love of birds. It's For some people, it might be they go to the Daintree and they see a cassowary and think, oh, my God, that's a bird. That's incredible. I want to know more. Or they see a bird of paradise or something like that on an Attenborough documentary. But for most people, the bird that inspires them is something you see every day. And when you think about what people in Australia see every day, we just are so lucky in this country. Like our common birds, I know this for a fact, that bird watchers overseas would just kill to be able to see even once. I mean, our most common bird that we see uh, that's recorded in the Aussie bird count every year has been the rainbow lorikeet. That's the most numerous urban bird in Australia. Now, that might make us complacent about, you know, that we, we, we think, oh, yeah, that's a bird you see every day. But you stop and look at a rainbow lorikeet. It is a gloriously coloured bird. And I've literally seen overseas bird watchers weep, cry, actually burst into tears when they saw their first rainbow lorikeet. And we take that for granted. They're our most common bird. We wanted to, with the bird count, to get something together that, that combined that idea of a, a really celebrating the birds that we see every day because they are so special. But also, from selfishly, from a BirdLife Australia point of view, if we could get people to become citizen scientists and tell us what they're seeing, that was that meant we'd get this trove of information about how our bird, how our most common birds are going without having to, you know, find the, the necessary funds to, to pay people to go out and do it because it would just be impossible. You would never get enough funding to be able to do a massive survey like this without people volunteering what they were seeing. So hence, in 2014, the Aussie Bird Count was created. The citizen science data collected through the Aussie Bird Count helps organisations like BirdLife Australia assess the health of Australia's ecosystems. As much as they are loved, the data is revealing that rainbow lorikeets are becoming a bit of a problem in our urban areas. We're actually seeing that the lorikeets are still doing really well in all our cities, including cities where they aren't native, like Perth and Hobart. That's creating problems for some of the other parrots, and that's what we're hoping to find out this year. We're really theming the whole bird count this year around our parrots because they're they're the most colourful birds and easy-to-see birds uh, because they just stand out so much and people do notice them. But we've... Looking at the first eight years of data that we've got from our Aussie bird counters and then comparing that with some other studies that are going on, we can see that some of the parrots are doing really well. And, and our Aussie bird count data shows us that, that rainbow lorikeets and sulphur-crested cockatoos and the little corella, they're doing really well, almost universally across the country. But there's other parrots which are starting to, to disappear and that's not the rare parrots. It's parrots that even 10 years ago were pretty common. Some some of our parrots have done pretty well around urban and suburban areas. But we've noticed that, you know, it looks like things like the, the beautiful eastern rosella, which is probably, I think, the most underrated parrot in Australia. They are just 
gorgeous birds. And they're certainly disappearing. And we're seeing this in the Aussie bird count figures, particularly in New South Wales, but also parts of South Australia. The eastern rosella reporting rates in our bird counts is going down. And once we know things are changing, we can start to speculate as to why and look into it. And we thought, well, it makes sense in Sydney because there's a lot of development for housing on the edges of Sydney, especially in Western Sydney, where there was sort of lightly wooded country, like wood, open woodlands is sort of what Eastern Rosella is like. And we thought, well, there's your example. You know, you, you lose that habitat. Birds really express what's going on in the landscape. And they the fact that there are less reports of Eastern Rosellas, that there are fewer Eastern Rosellas being reported shows that something's happening. And so we thought, well, for Western Sydney, it must be land clearance. But we can't really explain at this stage how come eastern rosellas seem to be dropping off in numbers all around New South Wales. We don't really know what's going on, but it gives we would never have known to start looking unless we had this information from people just doing their backyard bird counts. When I started birdwatching a few years ago, I used the Aussie bird count to practice my skills and knowledge. It's very accessible and perfect for beginner birdwatchers and people with more experience. Basically, anybody can participate and we welcome everybody. And this is why the appeal for the for the Aussie bird count is that you don't need to be a bird expert. We've tried to make it as easy and as fun as possible. So that's why we've got the app. And the app's the best way to do your bird count. You don't have to, but it, it's so much better, especially if you're beginning, because it's got a couple of things. One is that when you enter the data into the app of what you're seeing, it goes straight to us at BirdLife Australia so that we can we can use it for our information about give, getting that snapshot of Australia's birds. But the other thing is, if you're just a beginner bird watcher, it can be really easy to be put off by the very thing that attracts a lot of people is very scary too, because there's so many different types of birds in Australia. And if you see a parrot and you don't know what it is, you go to a traditional field guide or something and you open the parrot pages. Like, I think there is uh, 57 different parrots in Australia, so it can be really overwhelming. So what we've done with the app is we have the two sections, one where you do your survey, which we've made as easy and fun to use as possible, especially for for kids who are on screens and we you know we all want kids outside in nature you get outside but you've still got a screen to play with and even my kids who who are fairly bird aware but you know put off because their dad's into it so they don't want to do that they liked doing the bird count because they got to use the phone and, and enter what we saw so there's that aspect the other part of the app is the find a bird section which is like a it's not really a field guide but what it does is if you see a bird say if you saw a parrot but you don't know what it is instead of having to flick through the pages of a field guide or a bird identification app you just enter the size the shape and the colors that you're seeing and the app is programmed to give you a range of options of what bird that could possibly be in your area and depending on what you input, it will bring up a whole bunch of different um, descriptions and also photos of birds. So you can you can scroll through those and work out which one is the best match. If you think it's a certain bird and put it in, it's not really likely in your area. The app will tell you so you can go back and have a look. So basically, you don't need to know all that much about bird. Well, even if you're not a bird watcher, everyone knows 
probably at least five bird names. And you, you might know magpie, you know, you might know pelican, you might know the ibis. And that's a start. And that, that's something for beginner bird watchers that I always, I think that the easiest tip that, that you can have is don't try and learn everything at once. Learn the stuff that you're familiar with because bird identification is all about picking out the differences and there's so much information about every bird that you'll just get swamped with it all. But if you know a, a few birds, uh, you can start to see they're different, which ones are different. So say you know the magpie, which I assume pretty much everybody knows a magpie, but you might see another bird that's about the same size, but it's got more black on it than the magpie. And so you, you sort of think, well, you know, is that just a black magpie? Uh, like, or, or something like that. But then if you... That get, like then go to the app and, and put in those colours. You'll see other birds that come up that, are, that are, have black and white in them and you might scroll through and you might see that there's another type of bird that you didn't know about called the currawong and the pied currawong is in the magpie family and it's, I guess it's a, a bigger bird with a bigger bill and a yellow eye has a lot more black and a lot less white than a magpie. But you would it would be very hard to find that any other way. This way you might see the picture of it. So now you know two birds. Um, then you can expand out from there. So the thing to do is I don't I think don't get overwhelmed with the possibilities because it just get can get too much. So you don't need to learn everything at once. And the thing is if you take it one bird at a time you actually really get to enjoy those birds and as fa fantastic and fun as it can be twitching and adding new birds to your list it becomes even better when you add a new bird to your list when you really understand the differences and you get to know your common birds and they're fascinating especially Australian birds overseas bird watchers can't believe the behavior of Australian birds they're they're so much more bold in generally in color but and but also in personality and you get overseas even hardcore ornithologists you know real big research people who just are astonished at what our birds get up to so it's just brilliant watching what they're doing as much as trying to work out who they are I can personally vouch for what Sean is saying. I find the app really easy to use and it's helped me to develop my knowledge and appreciation for the birds around me. The first time I participated, I didn't use a pair of binoculars and I was still able to report heaps of birds. I've now discovered other programs like the Superb City Wren Project, which you can find out about in a previous Weekend Birder episode. I've also become a regular user of eBird and BirdLife Australia's Bird Data app. I'm still a beginner, but I'm building my confidence and this, Sean says, is part of the role of the Aussie Bird Count. Hopefully what it does as the years go by and people get more comfortable with, with identifying birds is either A, they move on to other sort of um monitoring programs and continue to uh, to do bird counts because one of the big complaints we get from the Aussie bird count is people say why can't it be every month of the year why does it just have to be once a year and it's like well we do have other programs like our uh, we've had our birds in backyard surveys going for 20 years that people can do once every season and we have for the bird watchers the more serious bird watchers we have our bird data system which has been going for decades now and, and is, is one of the most important databases of wildlife information. So you can keep going and doing that. The actual information from the bird count itself in and, in and of itself is really useful. And there's been a couple of big research papers in the last couple of years that have come out and they haven't been done by us. Maybe some of our bird life staff have been involved, but it's really interesting to see that how they compare to the data that we're getting from the Aussie bird count. And basically they're confirming 
what the other's doing. So we know that we're on the right track. The really good thing about this is it creates a big nationwide picture, but also we work with a lot of councils who participate in the Aussie bird count and we prepare reports for those councils each year on what birds are being seen in their local government area. And some of those councils are coming on board and talking to us about, well, how can we improve the situation for some of these birds? What do we need to do? And particularly for our small birds in the cities, this is stuff that we're picking up through the Aussie bird count, the the decline in small birds, particularly small bush birds, the insect eaters like fairy wrens and thornbills and and silver eyes, which also eat a bit of fruit, those birds are in decline and it's and we're seeing that through the information we get from the Aussie bird count. And so working with local councils who can affect much more of the local environment than individual landholders can, we're certainly encouraging people to plant bird-friendly gardens in their own yards. But if we're dealing with councils who are you know, planting street trees, but also maintaining parks and doing revegetation in open spaces and things. They're now using that information to plan how they manage their their open spaces and make them more bird friendly. And that's that's a great thing that the Aussie Bird Count is really helping aid local councils who want to do the right thing but didn't know where to start. It's always great to hear from our guests what their advice is for beginner bird watchers. Here's Sean's. But my advice is take it bird by bird and enjoy the bird you're looking at for two reasons. One is that you get so much more pleasure out of out of the experience rather than constantly searching for the next bird. That will come. Um, there will always be another bird coming, uh, hopefully. But it also means you get to know those birds really well so that you, when you do see something different, you will know that it's different and you'll know why you'll you'll know why it's different and where even if you don't know what that bird is you'll be able to work it out much more easily if you know the common birds everybody wants to see rare birds and it doesn't matter whether they're a scientist or a, or, or a twitcher or whatever like there's always something about the exotic that you want a, a new experience and you you know the, the likelihood is that you're you're generally not going to see that but once you know all your common stuff, you're going to be so much surer or more sure about when you do see something genuinely unusual and interesting. I am so grateful for Sean Dooley's big heart and big smarts. What a legacy. I'm also really thankful to the whole team at BirdLife Australia for their ongoing work in bird conservation and their coordination of the Aussie Bird Count, which is a total delight. Visit weekendbirder.com to find links to the Aussie Bird Count and Sean's incredible body of work. And you can find us by searching at Birdapod on your favourite social media platform.